and then I'll turn it over to the panel. Series of three or four themes that we're going to talk to, and then we'll open it up for Q and A. So, again, thank you for the participation, and we'll uh, circle back here at the end. What's going on with AMRs? Um, the technology has certainly come a long way. Uh, we've seen a lot of advancements, and we've seen that through our deployments in the last 12 to 18 months for sure. Uh, but there's still a long ways to go. So whether it's um, you know, the LiDAR technologies, the 3D technologies, different sensors. You'll hear us talk about that today. Uh, it should be a theme that you see at the show, uh, maybe in your own experience, certainly something we're seeing out in the field. The other aspect is where there's a lot of point solutions that are still working on different aspects. Could be pallet moves, transport moves, could be uh, collaborative uh, picking bots, a lot of different applications looking in specific areas. There's a lot of work right now really to kind of look at the overall flow and working with those applications, not just in a point solution. So we recognize that maybe no one company has the complete solution today, but there's certainly a platform being built across all these technology companies, whether that's driven by financial entities, whether it's uh, clients actually trying to pull together the solutions themselves, working with a variety of companies. You'll hear and see that today in our discussion. No shortage of funding flowing into this uh, arena. And I think the challenge as practitioners we all have to do is a lot more heavy lifting and vetting in terms of thinking about what a partner looks like, both from a technology, from a testing and support perspective. Those are some of the insights that we'll flush out during our panel today. Uh, incredible technological expertise coming into this market, both academic, different institutions, uh, companies that have been in the space a long time, really pouring into their R&D. Again, one of the opportunities that we see uh, certainly has emerged is making sure that there's an operational pragmatic reality to how to make these technologies and solutions work and really trying to find what is that common language that between the science and the data and the operations, how do we actually make these things work and work well? The other aspect of it is since we're working on technologies that are more point solution today, we really have to be careful about thinking about the flow of an operation and what we're signing up, what we're committing to actually in the business case. So on the cost benefit analysis, thinking about how those solutions actually are set in terms of expectations, both in terms of pilot, timing, rollout, benefits expected. And we're going to talk about some of the surprises we've seen on the benefit front that we've uh, incurred during our implementation that we may not have counted on. Certainly things we need to take, take into account. So before I turn it over to my uh, panel this morning, I just want to say you guys will hear this, hopefully see it in their experience. Never more an exciting time to be a part of this space. So glad you're here. Uh, afterwards, if we run on short on time, which I anticipate we might, um, pull us aside, we'll be around hanging outside, uh, be able to answer some of your questions. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my panel, and um, I think the microphones are on. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Good morning. I'm John Seidel with Gray Orange. Can you guys uh, hear? Raise your hand on your back if you can hear. Can you hear me? Is it working? No, Definitely sounds like it's working. All right, thank you. Yes, I'm John Seidel with Gray Orange. Uh, there are probably several people in the room that have known me for much longer than that. I've been in the supply chain technology space for the last 30 years, primarily focused in the WMS arena, 
joined Gray Orange at the beginning of this year. I'm responsible for uh, the global deployment and our largest customers of our platform of solutions. And uh, we'll be able to talk to you both about our autonomous mobile robot offering that's coming later this year, as well as some of the products that are in the market already today and where we've used them. Hey, I'm uh, Steve Feckmeister with Fortna. Uh, I've been with Fortna about six years. Uh, I'm in the solution design department, so uh, 20 years in supply chain, uh, corporate engineering, 3PL, and now in consulting. Uh, so we've got uh, heavily involved in AGV design, GTP, and we're really ramping up on AMR design here in the last three or four years. I'm Roger Cunahan from Fortna. Um, I am what they call in show business a seat filler. Uh, but I am covering for a couple clients of mine that were going to be joining us uh, that we've gone through a number of AMR and AGV style implementations. So I'm going to try and share as much of their experience from their side as possible. Um, but uh, happy to cover as much as we can today, Jeremy. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Well, Roger, every good seat filler means you get the first question then. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go through the project life cycle as I go through these questions, but um, keep that in mind. We'll make sure we get to some questions at the end. Uh, Mark, if you don't mind, if you could hit the clock up front, it's not uh, moving. So Roger, one of the things we think about early on when we're getting project approval is certainly the, the business case. You know, so many of these, so many times we, we kind of start with an assumption around labor or capacity we're trying to address. I think AMRs actually pushes us maybe into a newer space. I'm just curious if you could talk about maybe some of the, the things that you've seen that are unique from a business case perspective in your projects. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So like you said, I, I mean, the business case for us typically and almost always starts with labor, right? And what's interesting with AMRs is labor has changed a little bit from uh, sure we are looking at hours that we're potentially reducing and uh, hourly cost rate and offsetting the business case with that. But that's really only typically giving us 30 to 40% of the business case that we need. What we're also seeing is you have to be thinking about labor from an onboarding, a training, and a turnover perspective right now. We're seeing 80% turnover with some of our clients. So if you have a labor base like that, you're looking to just make their tasks simpler and easier. And so often it's not just um, offsetting labor, but it's augmenting it and making it easier um, so that their operations are just easier to handle for that workforce and that can potentially ramp up some of their productivity. Um, so that I think that's the first piece with labor. The second piece with labor, or the second part of the business case that we think about during the startup part of a project is capacity. Um, AMRs are often driving up the rate that you're able to get through a facility. Um, and from a throughput perspective, but then also from a storage perspective, you've got designs where you've got a much denser storage solution. Um, whether it's pulling product to people from a very dense storage matrix or in a pallet type environment where you're going to a very high or very deep drive-in situation where you could use with a very advanced uh, forklift operator that can operate in that type of environment or you could use an AGV that is going to be able to work flawlessly in a very deep, very complex drive-in situation. So what that does is it actually extends the life of a building or it allows you to keep more inventory in a building or potentially offsets 3PL costs. Those are some of the early business case drivers that we've seen. I think what's interesting is also at the end of a project, when we bring some of our executives through the sites and they're 
really excited to see those levers have come in. There's also other levers that we're seeing come in uh, that we weren't expecting necessarily at the start of the project. So one of them is typically product quality. A lot of times if you're working in an environment where there's a lot of moving material handling equipment, um, you know, product can get damaged, whether it's case product, whether it's bag product. Uh, in a food environment that I worked in, obviously damage to product was extremely sensitive. What we saw with AGV forklifts is that they weren't touching any of the product. There was next to zero product damage. And when you go from 5% to zero, that was actually a fairly meaningful benefit that really augmented that business case coming in. Another one is typically or often you're bringing the AMRs or the AGVs into a very manual environment which may not have been highly systematized. So while the actual handling of the product in an automated fashion is important, also driving yourself into a more systemic environment where all of the product, we know exactly where it's been placed, we know exactly what we're pulling at that time, you create more reliance on product identification, you're just really ramping up the accuracy and the quality of what you've been delivering in the business case. Okay, and then now if we were to think about transitioning, and I apologize for the background noise, not sure where that's coming from, but um, the second topic we're probably interested in hearing from, you know, Roger, I was thinking about your experience, was really more on the business model itself of the actual AMR companies. If we think about, you know, what it's like to, to find an ideal partner, we may embark on something we're really excited from a technology R&D standpoint, really like the people the way they think. But you have to take that up further, right? What's it going to look like in two to four years? Right? What's it going to look like two weeks after go live? So maybe you could share a few. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, raise your hands in the back if I uh, if you guys can't hear me. I'm trying to talk over as much as we can. But um, yeah, I think what you get out of coming to an event like this is you kind of see a lot of the very cool looking technology. You'll see you know how they can operate in a smaller environment in a very controlled environment. But I think what's important as you go through and uh, evaluate the different partners is understanding how they think. If are they people that have really been in an operation? Do they know how work flows in and flows out? Do they understand how a distribution operation fits into an overall order management environment? Or are they just kind of very focused on their narrow area? Kind of differentiating between people with uh, groups with operating experience versus um, maybe a more academic or a more product-based company that is more focused on what they can get their specific product to do as opposed to your operation. I think that's the first thing to start to, to look at with a partner. The second thing is to think about how they fit in the entire project lifecycle. What is their design approach? What is their implementation approach? And their post-go-live and long-term support model. From a design perspective, again, is it an end-to-end -end design? Is it thinking about how work is waved through a building, what your labor force looks like, what your management looks like? Or is it, hey, how will product flow into my solution and how will it flow out? So how broad are they versus your own team's capabilities? If you have a team that has those design capabilities, that type of thing can really work. From an implementation and post-go-live support, it's what happens when something goes wrong? Who's going to be on site? If I have some downtime, who am I calling? If, you know, if their engineer is out on a vacation, is there a dedicated support team behind it? Those are some of the important things that are really going to transition from products that are work worthwhile for piloting versus products that we can really rely on for our operation. Thank you, Roger.
So we've kind of hit on initially this uh, business case and business model. May circle back to that during Q&A. I want to now transition to this area of capacity and really maybe think about our putting our design hat on as we take inputs. We're trying to look at feasibility of solutions and then work through refining those solutions. Uh, Steve, I'm going to maybe turn it over to you for a second and ask, you know, in all these different environments that we can see AMRs, AGVs, and different technologies working, what have you seen in terms of maybe what the technology promised versus what we really see in the operation? Sure, sure, Jeremy. So uh, I think that we really have to look at this as far as collaborative and non-collaborative bots. So I'll start with uh, a non-collaborative. So uh, like John's company, Gray Orange, is an example, or an auto store solution. So those are contained environments. So little interaction, little congestion with people or other forklifts. Mature companies um, simulate, they, they simulate their designs. And, and we're blessed that we have a, a powerful R&D group ourselves that we can model and simulate and work with these suppliers to validate the throughput requirements. And, and while it's not a simple design that they're working on, it's somewhat simpler in that we don't have the dynamic of lift equipment, we don't have AGVs, we don't have people within the mix. So from that standpoint, we've, we've, been fair, we've had fairly good results with the throughput and capacity for those designs. But it's, it's a little bit different on, on kind of the, the growing companies around the, um, the collaborative market. So imagine um, like an e-com or an each pick collaborative bot or even a, a bulk full pallet mover um, in a distribution center. So there, there's challenges with congestion around lift equipment. There's challenges with aisleways. There's challenges with people. And um, honestly, we've, we've, not, we've not gotten the throughput that we've originally anticipated on most of those designs. And, and actually, we've, we've kind, of, kind of moved in a little bit of direction with the AMRs in the bulk environment, um, actually kind of treating those like AGVs in such a way that we know the congestion causes a, a, a lot of delays that we almost, we treat those AGVs as that we self-contain them. So we keep those in their own aisleways, their own paths. We try and keep them away from other lift equipment and, and other operators. And then something Roger hit on, I think is, is very important from, now obviously we work with distribution, but you may see that, you see this with manufacturing as well, is that the AMR company you're working with has got to understand the operation. And if they don't understand it, it's something that really falls on you. So. They may not understand the, it may be a, you know, a simple task, picking a pallet, dropping a pallet, quality of pallet, um, minimum aisle distance, uh, things like that, that uh, some of these, some of the AMR providers may not understand today, that really falls on you or falls on your interior to, to pick up some of that slack. Now, I think that's gonna get better over the years. It's gotten a little better just in the last year or so, but it's still something that's not quite there. And I'm, I'm sure you'll get some questions, uh, I would hope, from the audience as far as uh, throughput and capacity as we go through this. So, John, I wanted to talk about, uh, you've got a lot of experience through the years, more from the computer science, WMS, you know, uh, side of the house. Thinking about systems, I think one of the things I most commonly hear as far as objections moving into AMRs is how do you get started, right? How do you think about you know, what it looks like to pilot. Um, can you do that with or without uh, going back to talk to the host system? How do you think about that? And, you know, we're, we come from a, a day and time where in the WMS, WCS, ES space, we're very practical on design, test, rigor. Um, certainly want to hear from your perspective what you're seeing as difference when it gets to AMRs. 
Well, even <coughs> even independent of the AMR component of this, the WMS versus WES versus WCS space is confused today, to put it mildly, right? Years ago, when we were doing these projects, it was how do I close the gap between the control system for the automation and the capabilities of the WMS. Today, the solutions overlap. And then you add in the complexity associated with robotics and autonomous mobile robots, like we're talking about from Gray Orange. And the only way to do that is really with a software-first strategy. So our approach to the market is to lead with our software that manages our different solution components. So if you were to walk over to our booth here today, you'll see, as, as Steve mentioned, our solutions that work in a field that are separated from the human beings to process a goods-to-person model, uh, a pick arm, or a mobile sorter. Later this year, when we launch our truly autonomous mobile robots that are doing point-to-point -point delivery, all of a sudden now you've got a platform play where the robot is picking up the pallet of product at the inbound dock and delivering it to the reserve storage location. It's picking it up out of the P&D at the reserve storage location and delivering it to the pick engine. It's taking it from the pick engine to packing, or perhaps the mobile sortation solution is doing that. And then finally, it may be delivering the loads to the shipping dock. As soon as you start mixing the robots and the people together, you better have the right software and the right technology in place to support it. So we're seeing most of our R&D dollars right now, believe it or not, are going into the software and the efforts required to make that software work effectively across a platform approach to the solution. So I think to Steve's point, you want to, or to Roger's point, both of them, you want to spend some real time understanding how well the provider understands warehouse operations, how broad of a solution are you looking at as a point solution versus a broader strategy, and then how is the software going to interact to drive that. You can put a roadblock into one of these projects very quickly if you start needing to require a lot of work into the WMS solution or even the upstream host solution in order to have the data necessary to drive the automation. So you want to try to avoid that. I know one of the things that I commonly see with my clients is just trying to think about the integration in general and whether things are zoned off or not zoned off, how to actually incorporate that back to the measurements and the tracking in the system. Uh, so much more goes into it than just interface, right? As operators, how do we use and manage the business? John, I am curious. Um, I mean, we come from a world where maybe we're more comfortable in WMS space where something is more 80% product and 20% custom, right? Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, the software that's being deployed uh, presently? So I'm going to date myself. I don't know if back in the mid-90s, uh, there was a book written that Terry, who's actually in the audience, turned me on to called The Innovator's Dilemma. And it was really talking about the difference between disruptive technology and sustaining technology and how disruptive technology moves the market. And the autonomous mobile robot is absolutely a disruptive technology. And I think the success that's going to be found here is not by using the same KPIs or the same business processes or the same even people integration strategies that I've used with other automation in the past, but by the companies who really take a step back and go, how am I going to change the business function of my fulfillment center to better exceed my customer expectations, whether my customer is my own retail stores or through an e-commerce channel. So I think it's 
the, we talked about how the market has moved here in recent years, and it really has. But there, the gap between the AGV technology and the truly autonomous mobile robots is increasing every day. And we will stop using those two acronyms in the same sentence, I think, very, very soon, because the parallels will be gone. That's an excellent point. I suspect uh, there will be some questions from the, the group asking us to unpack that one a bit. Uh, I want to turn my attention, or our attention now, to this uh, crucial area of safety for those that are out on the front lines, um, adventuring out in this journey, right? You know the issues with uh, safety. And so um, I'm going to have Steve maybe share with us some of the perspectives that he's seen or, and is aware of in the industry. It may uh, jog some thought processes as we go along this morning. So. Okay, sure, sure. To that, to that point, um, what's interesting is the RI this year is publishing a new set of standards for AMRs. Um, so in the past, they've, they've typically used AGV standards, and, and, and to John's point, the, the gap between AGVs and AMRs is growing rapidly. So it's going to be encouraging to see that come out this year, um, really looking at things around sensors, e-stop, um, I think mo mobile manipulation or robotic arms, is, is as you, you'll see at the shows, is getting much, much larger. And you know, what is the safety mechanism? Is it necessarily an e-stop or is it an e-stop with, with some type of time, time gap where an e-stop may push, a, push an apparatus over or something to that effect? So um, again, I think that's, that's going to be encouraging. but. Um, what we have seen, um, you know, some of the challenges are around the, the LIDAR and the 3D technology. So we, we've had some discussions um, internally uh, with some uh, automotive engineers working on autonomous vehicles. And I think what, what we've seen, and I think what we've learned from talking from, with some AMR suppliers as well, is that it's really a suite of sensors. It's not LIDAR, it's not 3D cameras, it's not SLAM. It's a combination of those. And it's really working from the ground up, understanding the requirements, understanding the use cases, to define what is the best the best practice to solve that issue, so we've we've seen that in the field ourselves, um, and again it, it, it comes down to um, you know piling the AMRs, really getting it into your test environment. So if you go to a supplier and you're in their environment, um, you'll see something that works pretty well. It's it's a nice palette, it's a nice path, uh, but when you get out on your field, you'll see different lighting conditions. You'll see dirty floors, clean floors, sunny conditions. Um, it, you're really going to understand how that would operate and. And really, um, it, it's, it's safety in that we're not, you're not necessarily going to see, you may see workers' compensation cases, you're not going to see as, as, uh, as nearly significant as, as obviously automobiles, but it could be significant. And one accident where an, uh, where an SDV runs into a lift truck could be catastrophic. So um, it's encouraging to see the RA um, uh, publishing those standards this year. Yeah. And um, yeah. It's, okay. Um, we've got about five to seven minutes uh, left just to kind of with some of our prepared uh, Q&A. And then uh, we'll be walking around the room. Uh, on this side of the room, Tim will be assisting me with the microphone. I'll be on this side. So just raise your hand, but i just say in about five minutes or so, we'll open up for uh, Q&A from the group. You know, the, the last part, and we're kind of talking about it now with safety and, and, and as it relates to um, how are men and women, how the people in the field are, are working with this equipment? And I think we want to put a, a maybe a point on change management. It looks different uh, today than it has looked in the past. Used to, we could start with a pretty um, well-known process in a future state and kind of transition back uh, to that future state from where we are today. 
there's a lot that's less known, right, in this environment, and it poses some unique challenges with change management. So, John, I'm curious in, in your experience uh, working in the field, what you're seeing in terms of the differences and then hopefully the hope of what we can continue to leverage with change management. Yeah, don't underestimate the change management piece here. So we, um, we have a, a pilot site with the autonomous mobile robots down in Chile with a large retailer down there. And um, one of the really clever things that they chose to do was rather than removing 100% of their forklift vehicles, they removed 80% of their forklift vehicles and then took the one in five top forklift driver and made them responsible for a team of four autonomous mobile robots. And then their LMS, which they use the Manhattan LMS, they've modified that to do a team-based reflective standard for how well the robots are doing and how well they are doing as the supervisor. During peak periods, they will still use the forklift in addition to the robots. During non-peak periods, the supervisor's on his feet. Forklift is parked somewhere else. So. There are some very creative things being done around how you're going to account for labor performance. The change management during the initial deployment, you know, this is a pretty big deal. When you're putting in an automated picking solution or you're putting in a point-to-point -point or a mobile sorter or something, you are completely changing people's jobs. This isn't handing them an RF gun and teaching them how to use a WMS. This is a, hey, instead of moving around and picking up product, you're going to work in this pick station and all the product is going to come to you and the KPIs that we're going to use to measure your performance. Some of it is the heritage KPI of UPH or something like that for units picked, but to the earlier comments, you're really looking at the broader value proposition of, hey, am I taking labor out of my stores by building store-ready pallets instead of the random assortment that I perhaps built in the past? There's things that are enabled through the software and the technology that drive value way past picker productivity and it, I think the people that look at that from a change management standpoint and understand how to leverage the human resources to enable that broader value proposition are going to be the early winners. I would agree. So um, the last part we want to talk about really is kind of putting our future casting uh, hats on and not really with the three to five years from now, but literally what's right in front of us this year and next year. Um, as we look at these technologies, you know, how close, how ready are we uh, from a safety perspective, from integration, some of the overall flow, you know, uh, challenges that exist right now. I'm just going to open it up to the panel, whoever wants to jump in first, uh, feel free. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of how, how mature we are in the market with the technology that's out in the field? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, so. I think it's in the last two to three years, it is, it is significantly matured. Uh, I think there is, there is still a considerable path to go for the collaborative. The non-collaborative, um, not only the technology, the fact it's self-contained, but also the companies we're working with. Um, we're seeing the throughput, we've got good relationships. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're able to stand behind the throughput requirements. That's very encouraging. Uh, the collaborative side, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity. What's really exciting is, uh, a lot of our clients, clients bring that to our attention. So we're not necessarily pushing the AMRs to them. It's we're coming up with something that's um, maybe a, a little bit more, uh, a little older technology, but there is a little bit of automation. And they're pushing us at some instances. And we have actually got to pull back the reins a little bit and say, you know, some of the, some of the challenges we see with the collaborative bots, 
we're just not quite ready for it. So again, I, I, I said it before, and I, I, I would say to all of my clients, um, if they're looking for a true collaborative robot today out in the DC, especially if you've got a lot of, a lot of manual equipment, you've got stock riggers, uh, you've got walkie riders, you've got employees walking around, I don't think it's a great environment today. If there's tasks that are self-contained, that's great. Um, we've got to get the sensor technology out there. We've got to get the, the, the uh, AMR standards there. We've got to meet the throughput requirements. Again, I think that's going to happen in a couple years. And then also we're seeing, we're seeing new opportunities that we maybe hadn't thought about before. So, for example, when we're talking about uh, with a, uh, a collaborative AMR moving a pallet from point A to point B, we're actually looking at could we, could we use these collaborative bots uh, for full pallet or full case picks the same way we're using for each picks today? So where you think of the smaller robots, you think of a large robot, obviously a, a more safety risk, but there's a great opportunity to put more bots out there and, and decrease that dependence on labor. I'll just add real quick, um, safety, I, I absolutely agree that the standards are evolving um, and quite honestly haven't really been in place. Now, the gray-orange solutions that run in the field, the goods-to-person solution, the mobile sort solution, the safety factors are built into there. Our CEO is famous for when he's giving people tours of j for jumping in front of the robot and fully loaded and having the thing stop and not kill him. I would appreciate it if he wouldn't do that, but they, they are designed to actually stop. The uh, autonomous mobile robots, to the earlier comments, they are using LiDAR, they're using the simultaneous localization and mapping, the SLAM stuff, and the way it works is you spend two days mapping the physical characteristics of your f facility, all the stuff that's permanently there, safety walkways, racking, shelving, walls, etc. And then the dynamic side of this is the LiDAR that's constantly going so that if you drop a piece of pallet on the ground or drop a product or a human being walks outside the safety barriers, it will see, the, see you stop, go around it, remember what's there and take care of that until the, uh, in, until the whatever impediment is that's been cleared. So the, and, and I'm sure the story is true with all of the other vendors that are here, at least to some extent. So the industry is working on those standards, but I think they're yet to be fully published and adhered to. So it's a good set of questions to ask any vendor when you're evaluating their stuff. Thank you, John. What do you think, Roger, you good? No, I'm good. Let's open it up to some audience questions. Sounds good. If you would, just raise your hand if you have a question. Uh, I know somebody's got a question. Be brave. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk about uh, ground-based vehicles during this uh, panel discussion. But what about aerial vehicles? Um, and where do you see their role in the warehouse? Okay, what we didn't think about is the fact that the speakers are all the You can stand up at the podium if you want. So I couldn't hear you. Uh, I, I, I am not an expert on aerial vehicles, and I can tell you as a company, we are not evaluating an aerial strategy at this point. You guys may have seen far more than I have. Aerial vehicles. Yeah, um, within the four walls, I think the only area we've started to see them is for inventory tracking, and this is primarily in an environment where you are already leveraging RFID uh, so that you can get to inventory that's not facing the front. Um, that's been the primary 
uh, area that I've seen it, basically shortcutting cycle time. But uh, from what I've seen, the deployments of that to this point have been pretty minimal. Okay, next question. Hi, uh, you talked a lot about uh, the divergence between AMR and AGV, uh, but if we think about uh, bringing more and more AMR in the environment, uh, then we kind of reduce the co collaborative aspect of the, of the space, right? The more AMR you have, the more automation you have, and the more automation you have, the less collaborative robots you have. You have, you have auto, 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 uh, auto, uh, auto, um, automated uh, environment. So in this case, isn't it going to be, instead of a divergence, is there, is there, isn't it going to be a convergence between AMR and AGVs? Good question. So the convergence on AMR versus AGVs, I'm going to make a quick comment. John, I'd be definitely interested in your perspective and the rest of the team. I think when we think about a high volume mix of product and velocities, we see probably more niche of a combination of technologies working together as opposed to maybe uh, less reliance on one versus the other uh, has been our experience today. About all I would add is given that our autonomous mobile robot is not available today commercially and won't be until later this year, we're using AGVs and tuggers to, to pull the finished product once it's completed the picking and to do to the point to point. So I think today it's an integration between the two technologies I think ultimately though, the autonomous mobile robot should probably replace the AGV, at least in many applications. Yeah, so I work for a small company that's hesitant to kind of invest in this stuff right away. They kind of pilot maybe on a smaller scale. Can you just give an example of where you overcame the challenge of a company maybe hesitant to invest and did you go down that path and kind of what the results were? Yeah, so the question is when you're a, a small organization and you're trying to think about how to organize uh, the compelling right, uh, rationale and uh, an approach to, to AMRs, um, I don't know, Roger, uh, you want to take that? Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting with AMRs is their ability to scale. Um, you know, typically where I've seen smaller companies that are higher growth, um, they're looking for an alternative to, to be able to scale. The older model would typically to be to find a 3PL to do that, uh, that is easier to scale than building your own. But when you're leveraging an AMR, you could potentially add more bots as you grow, and it's a simple way to retrofit. Um, it's also less risk, right? You're not building out and bolting a lot of big structures and conveyor systems to the ground. You have something that you can retrofit pretty easily as your business is changing. Um, there are also, with, in, with one of the dynamics that we're seeing right now with a lot of venture investment and private equity investment is pricing models that aren't massively capital intensive, uh, but actually leasing or paying by the pick or by the move. Uh, which is also where you could see AMRs come in. And that would be something you could ask about as you visit the different providers out there today. Um, but, and then the last piece is just making sure you're thinking about the business case holistically. If you're only pulling in a few different bots and you don't have that many people in there, the labor replacement isn't gonna pay for it by itself. 
But if you're trying to control the customer experience, um, if you're trying to move product very quickly, um, if you're having a capacity constraint in your current building, those things all come together and make that business case work. You know, the other thing I would add is that just from a real practical standpoint, um, you know, getting out to visit the sites, you know, take the brand owner, take the customer experience, or it may be you yourself doing a lot of different faces of the, the company as a small organization, but, you know, understanding where uh, that technology provider can take you into other operations uh, quickly, and then understanding if there's some kind of flexible model where uh, they can allow you to uh, demo a product and, and use it in a uh, confined environment to really start to get day-after-day uh, -day experience that allow you to build, build and trust that piece of technology more. Any other thoughts from the group? Okay. We have uh, easily five minutes left, plenty more time for questions. Um, just raise your hand if you would, if you have additional questions for the panel. So you mentioned the innovators dilemma, uh, how the disruptive technology drives the market versus the sustainable technology. And what is the difference between the two and at what point do they meet and how does one turn into the other and when does it get adopted, especially for the autonomous ground vehicles? Uh, I think the question, what's the different types of technology, LiDAR, 3D, how do you differentiate? What do you, what do you think about in terms of what they're capable of? Uh, and, and having to use a mix of those technology. Okay, so I think it is it is a, a suite of those options, and it, it's it's dependent on the requirement. So, and, and an example I like to use is, and, and I've, I've copied this, so I didn't come up with this, but the lidar technology will typically see from your shin to your knee, which most times, if you're walking in front of it, is okay. But if you're working in a distribution environment and you got a, a forklift, you got a fork that's two inches above the ground, you may miss it. So it's really, I think the, the, the AMR providers need to understand the requirements and then work with those suite of options, whether it's, again, whether it's um, LiDAR and 3D cameras. And how, how many sides are the 3D cameras? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be on all four sides. Does that answer the question? I would, there's some really interesting things going on. Um, there's a company called, I, I believe it's Macondo Ventures or maybe Macando Ventures, that's a visioning system that they're selling for doing labor productivity as opposed to the old XYZ coordinates. It actually does facial recognition and uh, allows you to track labor productivity based on bodily movements and things. So there's, there's some really clever kind of different ways of looking at traditional problems, not just automation, but sometimes through software that are coming along. So. It's, this is like, for me, you know, this is like Disneyland coming to this conference, right, and being able to walk around and look at all this stuff. So keep, keep your eye out. You'll see all sorts of interesting technology. So um, what experience have you had with integrating AGVs with AMRs? So say I've got an existing fleet of AGVs. That fleet doesn't provide what an AMR does today. So I need to bring in another AMR company. So what experience have you had with the two systems talking to each other and being able to play with each other within one system? Interesting question. So what experience between AMR and AGV? I've only done it once. Um, 
and so we're focused primarily in the retail industry and there aren't a lot of AGVs at least in the customer base that we're servicing in the retail industry the one the one example is actually the same client that I referenced down in Chile they were using them uh, AGVs for uh, taking multiple carts or multiple pallets loaded on um, doll, uh, trolleys and doing delivery of that product. So what we wound up doing there was we had our fixed pick station, so the goods demand solution robotically delivered to the stationary human being who built these orders into these uh, totes. And then the totes were positioned onto these trolleys and the AGV deli delivered the trolley to the outbound uh, packing function for those orders. So it um, quite honestly was kind of painful. We wound up modifying our control system software, the AGV software, the, and the, the WMS that was operating the building, which was a commercial software package. So we, we had to make changes to all three control layers in order to get the messaging to work. Um, I would suggest in any facility where you've got multiple flavors of automation, right? So there's another facility we're in that has a big dematic shuttle and we're at the end of the shuttle. Um, there's other facilities where there's automated sortation and, and things like that, that the integration very quickly becomes the critical path for the project. You know, as it relates to like the, the autonomous mobile robots, like I said, it only takes a couple of days to map the facility, but the unit of measure for getting the software to work together is months, not days. So it, it's really a software integration challenge, I think, more than the hardware. Yeah, I'll add on to that. Um, we actually have a design where we've been we've put in the AGVs to be handling basic pallet movements you know, from a pickup place into drive-in rack and then at a at a staging location. Um, but what we wanted to do was load the trucks automatically and supply packaging and raw materials into the packaging lines upstream automatically. But the existing AGV base couldn't handle those types of challenging applications. And what we're doing is studying the AMR market to see when we're going to be able to start handling those functions. But with a design up front knowing that we wanted to do that, we built in a software platform, just like John's talking about, that can handle the integration and the handoffs between it. And actually what we're doing now is we treat the people and the existing operators as if they're AMRs. And so that software interface drives currently the manual lift truck operators that are going to be Ideally, you know, we'll be able to leverage an AMR for that function in the future. I think we're about out of time. Any other last questions here for the group? All right. Well, if you would, can you uh, help me thank our panel this morning? And thank you for attending. Uh, enjoy Modex and the show. If you want to come by and see Fortna, our booth is 8808, and then, uh, of course, uh, Gray Orange as well. So thank you for your time this morning.